Our guest speaker, Jonathan McKee, is a husband and a father who lives currently in the Sacramento, California area. He's authored many books. He's spoken in, uh, all over the world, and we're excited to have him come this morning and, and address us. Welcome. Much. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm also excited to be in a service where the football game doesn't kick off till after the service. So I'm excited about that. From California, you got to realize, you know, right now it is uh, it is uh, 9:30, you know, in California. So people, you know, Christians in California have a decision to make: church or see the football game live. So, you know, you really can see where people's faith, you know, is, you know, during football season. So excited to be here. This is fun. Get to travel around quite a bit. It was also fun. I, I, I think I really enjoy your service times, the 810 service, the 1050 service. I mean, this is like a school bell schedule. You guys are great. This is very cool. So I'm, I'm excited about that. If I get a chance to travel around a lot, I'm looking forward to this afternoon, our workshop. I'm now hesitating that we're doing it from four to six o'clock. I think we should do it from 3.55 to 6.05 or something like that. But, uh, but we'll be there four to six. I'm excited about that. Looking forward to uh, seeing a bunch of you there. Um, it's funny, the more I travel around... Um, the issues of what's going on in the worlds of young people comes up a lot. I research youth culture and been in youth ministry over 20 years. Uh, talk with parents all the time. And the things I keep hearing over and over again uh, always is like whatever the issue of the day is. And currently, I think if parents are to come up to me and ask me about anything, it seems like it always comes down to this device right here. It seems like everybody's always got questions about this. It starts out, okay, so my daughter, she was on Instagram. And, you know, that's how the, every sentence starts. It starts with something to do with this little device right here. Now, the interesting thing is how parents respond to that. Because there's always been distractions in our culture. And, and it's funny because we know that this device in itself isn't bad. Just like a vehicle isn't bad. You know what the number one killer of teenagers in America is? Automobile accidents. Well, it's funny, I don't see a lot of parents sitting there saying we should ban all automobiles. We should absolutely get rid of automobiles. They're evil. No, we want to teach our kids how to drive automobiles, how to not text while they're driving, how to not speed, how to not maybe be distracted by their friends in the car. But it's funny also how we as parents, when it comes to raising young people, when it comes to training them for an automobile, we don't just throw them the keys and say, good luck, you know, um, we sit down next to them. In California, we're required to for 50 hours sit next to our kids and kind of say, okay, here's merging. Here's this. You know, be careful of that guy over there, you know. Um, and and we're, we're constantly sitting next to them for those hours. And we make them take tests and everything before they get their keys. But for some reason in America, when it comes to this device, very often it's just don't break it, you know. When we give them this powerful little tool. So a lot of parents are kind of freaking out. They're having second thoughts. They're trying to, they're wondering, you know, what they should do. I mean, for example, in 2010, a bunch of doctors posted in a journal of pediatrics, pull screens out of young people's bedrooms. So parents are pulling TVs and computers out because here's these secular doctors that are noticing when young people have these devices in their bedrooms, there's lots of distractions, a lot of bad stuff happening, a lot of loss of sleep, a lot of uh, false information they're getting. And these doctors were noticing this and they're like, it's just a better idea to not have screens in the bedrooms. So a lot of people did that in 2010, 2012, something happened in America. And that is now we crossed the 50% mark of how many people have these things in their pockets. Currently, 12 through 17 year olds, over 70 75% of them have one of these in their pockets. Now, I don't know about you, 
But this device right here has every single thing that that and uh, a TV and everything. I mean, you can Netflix right on this. You can have your whole music selection in there. You can Google something right on here. And I don't know. A lot of parents are standing outside their kids' bedrooms with a bucket saying, please deposit your phone in the bucket before you go in the bedroom. So a lot of parents are going, well, wait, what am I supposed to do? Should I make them charge it like in our bedroom? Or I don't want to be one of those overreactive parents. And what I notice is a lot of parents are kind of floating to one of two extremes. And I see this a lot in the church. The first extreme I'd see would be like the one way over here and that'd be the one I call the over permissive parent. That's the parent that learned right away when they told their kid no, that there was a very unpopular move because the kid pulled the, you know, oh, well, Chris's mom lets us do that. So the parent's like, oh, OK, OK, I, I don't know what I can do. Next time they tried something else. They tried. Yes, you can do it. And they realized that that was a much more popular move. So they started saying yes all the time. Matter of fact, they became the yes parent, more like a peer than a parent. We call them the parents, you know, and we've seen examples of this kind of parent in, you know, Hollywood. We've seen examples of how this parenting sometimes works. And even some of these parents have kind of looked back in 2020 and said, OK, maybe I should have said no. Maybe I should have been the parent. Maybe I should have said enough is enough. So a lot of parents are kind of realizing being the overly permissive parent maybe isn't good in all situations. I mean, I want a relationship with my kid, but saying yes doesn't seem like the answer. Well, sadly, there's been a pendulum swing and a lot of parents so badly don't want to be like that parent that they come way over here this side of the room and they'd be called what I call the overprotective parent. And they say, I got a solution to all this technology. I'm just going to unplug it all, throw it all away. And we're going to move to Amish, Pennsylvania. That's what we're going to do. And that's their solution. Well, I kid you not when I tell you just a few weeks ago, I was in Amish, Pennsylvania because the church brought me out and they're dealing with the exact type of stuff. And they're like, hey, how do we respond to this? I remember the first time I spoke in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It was a conservative Mennonite brethren church. And I'm driving to the church to speak. And as I'm driving, a buggy pulls out in front of me. And so I'm driving my little rental car behind this buggy, you know, and then also another buggy. And I thought, where the heck am I preaching? I mean, there's like a line of buggies. And as I pull up the church, there's buggies out front. I go inside and there's people coming in and a lot of the women had their heads covered. And this one lady came right over here and she was sitting there and she had what looked like one of my grandma's doilies like on her head. And, and so I walked over to the people who brought me out. I said, are you sure you want me to speak about youth culture? I mean, that lady's got a doily on her head, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we, we want you to do this. And they knew what I did. I mean, they know that when I talk about how do we respond to a lot of the what young people are gleaning, I show examples of it up on the screen. And, you know, I'm going to do that today. And I want to warn you, I'm going to throw some lyrics up there. I'm not going to go find something down way, you know, some obscure. I'm just going to throw the top 10 songs up there. And we're going to look at some lyrics and I'm going to show you some stuff. I'm not going to show anything R rated, but I'm going to show you some lyrics. We're going to take a peek at some stuff. And some of what you see is going to offend you. And if you're offended, good, you should be. Because this is exactly what young people hear when they walk into Target or when they walk into Walmart. You know, even if you've moved to Amish, Pennsylvania and don't ever let them out of the house, which, by the way, I don't recommend you do. As I sat there and I spoke in this church, uh, I'll never forget. I, I stood up and I threw some lyrics on the board and I said, here's the number one song at the time. And the opening lyrics to the song were woke up drunk two hoes lying next to me. And I saw Dwayne Lady's eyes get really big like like that. And I thought, uh oh. 
So I kept talking. I talked about how do we respond to this? How can we find dialogue with our kids about what they're engage, you know, what they're encountering in our culture? And throughout this whole talk, I kept looking over at her and she was glaring at me. And when I finished speaking, she gets up and she walks over to me like this. And I'm thinking, oh, man, here it goes. She's going to let me have it. That's OK. She's going to she walks right up to me and says, thank you. And I was like, really? Tell it to your face because you look angry. You know, she says, thank you. I'm like, for what? She says, for showing me all that because my kids listen to all of that. I go that I thought this was Lancaster County. She says, my fifth grader, for example, in art class at school, the teacher lets them, you know, bring their own music and they can play whatever as long as it's the clean versions. Uh, More on that in just a little bit. See, the fact is, a lot of us as parents, we think, you know, okay, I don't want to be like the parent that allows everything. So we become like this parent that tries to block everything out. And sometimes we don't have our eye on the calendar and we don't realize, you know, our kid's going to turn 18. And when they turn 18, they can join the army, move out of the house, download whatever they want, hang out with whoever they want. Are we equipping them for that day? See, there was this little girl named Katie Hudson who grew up in a church. She loved music, would sing in, you know, sing in the church all the time. And uh, she was in a very conservative house. As a matter of fact, if she in interviews will say that uh, when she like grew up at the dinner table, she would say, please pass the deviled eggs. And her mother would say, "Uh, uh, uh. We only have angeled eggs in this house. I mean, this is this is the house she grew up in when she was in high school. She kept singing. She loved singing. She would sing, uh, you know, in church a lot. Turned 18 years old, totally rebelled from mom and dad and kind of went on her own, um, started pursuing secular music. And a lot of us and of course, she changed her stage name to Katy Perry. And a lot of us know the rest of the story. The interesting thing is we as parents, we sit there and we look and we say, OK, maybe either of these extremes isn't that bad. And frankly, we just are like, Jonathan, you know, uh, so what do we do? Do I need to stand in my kid's hallway? By the way, all the young people in the, you know, uh, uh, you know, service here are getting really nervous here. And they're like, no, 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 no. So what do I do? I mean, how do I respond to this? Now, it's interesting. There's doctors who actually notate and they, they, they like to do polls and, and ask Parents, how involved they are in their kids' lives. And, and, and some parents are sitting there saying, I don't even know how to do that stuff. Well, you're not alone. I mean, 50% of parents, only 50% of parents actually use parental controls on these devices. Less than half of parents actually even talk with their kids about their online profile. So if their kid gets that Instagram account or that Twitter account or whatever, oh, less than half of parents are actually saying, hey, to their daughter, um, when you post, do you have location services turned on? Because when you're at Starbucks late at night and you're posting, hey, check it out, late night study session, you know, predators actually have a nice little dot on a map and they know exactly where you are. Less than half of parents have had those conversations. So a lot of parents, I think, are kind of saying, I I would like to do something. I would like to open up this kind of dialogue where we're talking about not only safety, but values in our home. Um, But where do we look for guidance? How do I know now? Because, I mean, technology changes so fast. I mean, how, how do I know how to respond now, and I could this morning, uh, we could open up Deuteronomy chapter six, because if I that's actually a very relevant passage where Moses stood before an entire congregation of people, much like I'm standing before here, because it wasn't just parents. It was grandparents, aunts, uncles. And he basically talked to the entire church community. He'd talked to God's people and he said, guess what? You know, all that we know about God, 
We should not only impress that on our hearts, we should impress that to our children. And as we raise this younger generation, we should help them remember what God did for us. We should talk with them about this when they get up in the morning, when they're walking along the road, when they go to bed at night, in everything they're doing, in everything they're thinking about. We should have these conversations. And right now, a lot of parents are sitting there saying, "Um, Jonathan, that's a lot I mean, I, I don't have that much time with my kids. Uh, let's be honest. When I get up in the morning, I leave. My kids aren't even up yet. When I get home from work, they're still at sports. We might get family dinners together. We occasionally cross in the hallway. We try to have some good family time, but not, you know, this much time daily, all the time. And what we don't realize is when we're not in our kids' lives, there's something else that is stepping into our kids' lives. There's something else where our kids are gleaning values from and where they are learning from. And the thing that they're learning from more than anything else, because they're getting it for so many hours per day, is entertainment media. And there's actually a bunch of doctors that have sat around and they've actually counted up the hours. And they've said, how much entertainment media are young people gleaning today? And there's all kinds of reports. I mean, you can look at Nielsen, you can look at Journal PD everything. And all those guys quote this report, which comes out every five years. A new one's coming out here in a couple of months. But in their last report, they came up with seven and a half hours a day, just on average, that young people are soaking in entertainment media. So when you add up all the TV, all the computer time, all the music, when you add it all up, seven and a half hours a day, it'll be fascinating to see what the updated report will be in a few months, because now that everybody's got one of these in their pockets and the average American spends two hours and 38 minutes a day on this right here. wonder what the average teenager spends. Now, the thing is, a lot of us as parents, we're sitting there saying, so if they're gleaning this much time, you know, what are they hearing from those sources? If you looked at the history on your kid's phone and you looked at what music they got in their on their Spotify playlist or, you, you know, uh, watch what things they were watching on Netflix and stuff. What are they learning from those sources? See, not all media is bad. There's some great stuff out there. There's some great music out there. Man, I'll tell you what, if we brought the worship team up here, I bet we can have some great conversations about fun music and good music. There's some great stuff that we can have on this phone. But what are kids learning from all that they're putting in their ears and looking at with their eyes. Do you know? I'll tell you what, a lot of us as parents, we're looking for guidance. I've got three kids. I've got right now a 17, a 19, and a 21-year-old. And this is my world all the time. And constantly, when we're sitting down and trying to make media decisions, friend decisions, all this kind of stuff, and I look at my kid who is now a senior, who's about ready to go off on her own, had my eye on the calendar for a long time, I sit there and I think, wow, How do I raise a kid who's absolutely saturated in lies coming into her ears all the time? You can't help it unless you literally go live in a cave. Again, I don't recommend that. How do you do that? How do we respond to a group of people who are growing up immersed in secular culture? Uh, I'll tell you the passage I want to turn to this morning. It's Acts chapter 17, because um, the Apostle Paul addressed a group that was going through just that. The Apostle Paul encountered a group who was absolutely saturated in the lies and in the false hopes of all these different messages. And it was interesting to see how he responded. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, we are raising a generation of young people who 
are hearing maybe for an hour a week the truth up here. Maybe they go to youth group. Maybe they're in their Bibles. But for seven and a half hours a day, do you know what they're hearing? And the fact is, how can we respond to a generation that's absolutely soaking those messages in for seven and a half hours a day? I think Paul's going to give us some guidance. I, I like the fact that it's the Apostle Paul because um, I kind of relate a little bit to this guy's upbringing. This guy was raised totally with this religious upbringing and learning everything there was to do about religion and church. And I grew up a pastor's kid. As a matter of fact, in my church, I grew up, I sat every week right there in the front row. That was my seat right there. And I was there and I knew, I learned quickly when to stand up, when to sit down. I knew what hymns we were going to sing, how many verses, what verses. We always sing verses one, two, and four. Side note, if you're going to ever write a hymn, don't spend a lot of time in verse three. Nobody ever sings it. You know, I mean, I knew this stuff. I was raised in the church. So I knew all the answers. And out. So what was interesting, Paul, he knew all the ins and outs so much to the point that he would go around and he would point that stuff out to other people. He would correct them. He would actually walk around and be like, oh, don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, you're washing your hands wrong on the Sabbath. Oh, you walk too far. Oh, you're supposed. And he would correct. He was caught up in religion so much that he actually kind of missed out on a relationship with God to the point that Jesus even saw what the Apostle Paul was doing. And Jesus was like, I got to go talk with this guy. So we see in early in the book of Acts, Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is blinded, hits the ground. And ironically, in Paul's blindness, for the first time ever, he saw clearly. And he saw clearly what, what, what he had been doing. And he was pursuing all this religion to the point that he missed out on a relationship with God. And when Jesus showed up and said, yo, why are you persecuting me? Paul walked out a changed guy. Even his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And now he wasn't walking around correcting others. He was walking around sharing good news. He was like, oh, Jesus changed my life. He could change you. As a matter of fact, he's kind of like a, kind of like a beggar who had, telling one, be, one beggar, telling another beggar where the food source was. Hey, check this out. Ch- check what I found. Jesus changed me. He could change you. And he was excited and he was telling everybody. And it's cool because as you look at the book of Acts, you see him going around and you see all these people getting excited about Jesus. Except for groups of people who are so caught up in religion that they were like, ah, eh, you're messing up my religion. Don't mess up my rules. I would rather just do this, do that, and then I can think whatever I want. And so those religious snobs, whenever Paul would talk with them, they would chase them out. As a matter of fact, we're in Acts 17. If you went back to Acts 16, they put him in prison. Uh, when he spoke in Thessalonica at the beginning of Acts 17, they chased him out of there. When he spoke in Berea, the religious snobs chased him out of there. So Paul's going everywhere and he's teaching the truth about Jesus. And every once in a while, people are chasing him out. He finally arrives in Athens. And that's the passage we're going to look at this morning. And, and literally, the guy's been in jail. The guy's been chased out of everywhere. It's almost like Paul's friends were like, Paul, why don't you just chill? Why don't you just stay in your hotel room? Don't get arrested. Don't get chased out. Just wait until we arrive. And we look here and Paul is sitting there. He's waiting for his friends to arrive and he's just noticing what's going on in Athens. He's looking around. He's noticing what are these people like? How am I going to reach out to them? How am I going to talk to them? And the first thing he notices is that this port town that has all these different ideas coming out is just saturated with lies and places filled with idols. Look at verse 16. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed 
to see that the city was full of idols. Pause right there for a second. He looks around and in the city, he literally sees so many idols. They've got idols to every possible God there. They even have this one idol that says to an unknown God. And Paul is looking at this. He's looking at a group of people who are putting their hopes in all these false gods. Sound familiar? He's looking at a group of people who are believing a bunch of lies. And he's distressed with what he sees. A lot of young people sitting here today. I got to tell you something. Sometimes we get so used to this, we aren't even distressed when we see it. We're so used to the idols that are all around us. We're just kind of like, ah, it's no big deal. Paul saw these lies and he was distressed with what he saw. He was distressed. I wonder if he was here today and he looked into the window of youth culture. I study this all the time. I'm kind of studying what trends are going on in youth culture, uh, what young people are listening to. Uh, as a matter of fact, we write on our thesourceforparents.com. This is a free website we have for parents where they can get help. And uh, we write this weekly youth culture window uh, article, this, excuse me, bi-weekly youth culture window article. And we constantly talk about, hey, here's what are families watching on TV each week? Yeah, it's cool. Sunday night football there is right on the top there. We've got these also Big Bang Theory voice Modern family scandal, how to get away with murder. It's interesting. This is the, this is the top family programming. Then what about the stuff that young people have got right there in that little device they got in their hands? Uh, you know, what, what's the music they're streaming on their various sources? Now, see, do you realize these things actually have lists of the most popular stuff that people are streaming? You can actually look and you can see right there. You can see the list of the top stuff. Uh, if your kid has one of these iDevices, they all have this iTunes store where you can see the top movies, the top TV shows, the top songs. And you could actually look right there. You go, oh, what are the top songs? And you could pull them up and look at them. Or you could go to Billboard and it's funny. You look at Spotify, Billboard, iTunes. All of them have the same cluster. Maybe the number one and two were switched. And, but the same cluster of top stuff. And I, what if Paul were here and he was looking at what young people are listening to all the time? Because this is the music that, believe it or not, I mean, I was gassing up and I heard one of these songs. You know, this is stuff playing in the gas stations, this is stuff playing at Target. This is, I mean, this is everywhere. And what if we were to just look at it? It's not all bad. But like this, this song that's number two right here, all about the bass. It was number one on iTunes. It's been number one for the last couple months. What if a parent were to just like Google and type in all about that bass, Megan Trainer, and just check out the lyrics for themselves? What if you were to read it? I mean, I don't know. It could be good. It could be bad. She's kind of a hefty girl and she's singing about her size. She says this. She says, yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to do. Because I got that boom, boom that all the boys chase and all the right junk in all the right places. Parents are kind of torn. What do I do with this message? On one hand, it's kind of cool because she's, you know, saying, oh, you don't have to try to look perfect or whatever. But on the other hand, she's sitting there saying, I got all the boom, boom that the boys are chasing, all the junk. And all the... it's interesting. I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really sure if this is a good message or a bad message. And that's the thing about a lot of the information we get. Lots of times it's a mixed bag of nuts. There's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. And you guys have been there. You're watching a family show and it's a good show and you're watching it together. And all of a sudden something happens. And you're like, whoa, we're did that come from? And you're like, it's good, but then it has this. And somebody all of a sudden gives you the illustration that says, well, if you were to make a brownie and you were to put a little bit of poop poop in the brownie, would you still eat the brownie? I'm like, is the poop on the edge of the brownie? Can I just cut it off? Because I like brownies, you know, I mean, I don't know. And we hear that stuff all the time. 
I mean, but you look, I mean, is it all the songs? I mean, what if we were to Google these, this song? We're in church. I'm not going to do that one. Um, Animals uh, by Maroon 5. Probably shouldn't do that one either, but I'm from California. Uh, Animals. What if we were to Google the lyrics on that one? He says, so what are you trying to do to me? It's like we can't stop. We're enemies, but we get along when I'm inside you. You're a drug that's killing me. I cut you out entirely, but I get high when I'm inside you. Uh, By the way, this is uh, the clean stuff. Bang, bang. Uh, This is interesting because this has Ariana Grande. Uh, If you've got a young girl, you've got like a tween. um, She probably saw a lot of Ariana Grande in these various Nickelodeon shows. Matter of fact, Ariana Grande is one of the hot things kind of for tween girls right now. Um, Very popular. But something interesting, when you look at this list, a lot of parents, when they're governing, how do I decide whether or not I'm going to let my kids listen to music? They sit there and go, just don't download any of that explicit stuff, right? And if you look at a random iTunes list, you see an explicit thing by Lil Wayne. Maybe you don't even know who he is. You're like, oh, Lil Wayne sounds cute. You know, uh, uh, but he's got an explicit song, so don't download him. No matter how cute he is, you know, it's explicit. But Bang Bang doesn't have the explicity, so it must be clean. It's okay. Just like, by the way, Animals that we just read was also clean. Why? No curse words. So it's okay. Go ahead and download that or download Bang Bang. What if you were to look at the lyrics? Let's look at this Ariana Grande, number one role model for young girls right now, for kids, 10-year-old girls right now. Uh, here's a song. See, anybody could be bad to you. Need a good girl to blow your mind? Yeah. Hmm. wonder what she's talking about there. Bang, bang, into the room. I know you want it. Bang, bang, all over you. I'll let you have it. Wait a minute. Let me take you there. Back, back, seat in my car. I'll let you have it. That's the clean stuff. What if our kids popped out their phones, popped to the music video section, and looked at the top music videos? You could look at some of the songs we've talked about here. We could look at some songs that I'm not talking about here. What if we were to click play on that? I got all kinds of teenagers right now going, no, 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 no. By the way, here's a note. If your teenager says to you, mom, dad, you really shouldn't go to that parent workshop today. I need you at home today. It's a good sign that you should go. What if we were to Google the lyrics to that song or to that artist? Or what if we went to the second most popular place that your kids go to on this device, YouTube, and we were to peek at that video. What would we see uh, this afternoon in the parent workshop? We're going to do that. You've seen a five-minute glimpse. Um, we're going to actually look at some of the stuff when we don't have five and eight-year-olds sitting next to us. The thing is, we as parents, when we think about this device right here that fits so neatly in our kids' pockets, some of us, we want to respond by saying, okay, I'm just going to smack, I'm going to take my kid's phone and I'm going to put it in the garbage disposal. That's what I'm going to do. That, that, that's the solution. Um, and by the way, teenagers, it's only fair. I'm going to warn you, okay, because right now you're getting really nervous about your parents going to this workshop because you're thinking they're gone for two hours. It's just enough time to remove every Nicki Minaj song, every delete, delete, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell your parents at this workshop. I'm just letting you know this. Okay, so parents, I'm, I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here that I'm going to tell your parents at this workshop because I'm going to show them a lot more than I just showed here. Um, I'm going to tell them that I want them to pray for a week before they do anything. I'm going to tell the parents, I want you to go home and I want you to pray. Just collect yourself. Think about it. You can have some dialogues, but I don't want you grabbing phones, doing anything. So I'm going to do that. So, and it's so funny because teenagers always come up to me and say, uh, say, you know, that they talk to their parents and they're like, I reminded her about that week. Parents come up to me or I get emails on Monday on the source for parents.com. When I got home, our kids quickly reminded us, you have a week. 
a week before you can do anything. Well, it's funny, a lot of parents, when they kind of take a glimpse around the culture today, they're like the Apostle Paul. They're distressed. They want to smash their kid's phone. My friend Doug Fields and I wrote this book called Should I Smash My Kid's Phone? Because we heard it so many times from parents coming up and saying, I, I, got, a, I got a response. I'm just going to smash my kid's phone. The common parental response is overreaction. Uh, if you don't believe it, take a look at this guy right here. This is a dad whose uh, daughter was posting some bad stuff on Facebook, mentioned some bad stuff about the family. So when the daughter was gone at school, dad grabbed her laptop he was in IT, so he hacks into her Facebook account and he posted a little video of his own. Um, here, I'll show you a snippet of it. Watch this. Ridiculous. Not happening. Disrespectful to me, your mother, your stepmother, your family, your friends, and yourself. So I'm, I'm going to put a stop to it. And I'm going to put a stop to it right now. That right there is your laptop. You see it's out here on the ground. This right here is my 45. That was the first round. These are exploding ho hollow point rounds. That guy's from Kansas, isn't he? <laughs> I, I think I passed him on the way in. I really, I think, you know, uh, you know, whether or not, I mean, I tell you, we as parents, we can relate to that. You know, I have a Ph.D. in overreaction. But the thing that happens is when we overreact, there's a re teenage response to our overreaction. All of a sudden, the trust we've built, they're like, forget it. Dad's going to flip out. I don't want to go talk to him, you know. And so then they're quiet. They're avoiding us. Parents come up to me all the time and go, my kid won't talk with me. And sometimes it's no wonder. And sadly, a lot of us who become that strict, 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 you can't do anything. I have parents come up to me after workshops all the time and say, yeah, I tell my kids no email, no this, no that. I'm like, ooh, yeah, email. That's really bad stuff. You know, and I'm, and I'm like, how old are your kids? 17, 19 and 20. I'm like, How's that working out for your 19 year old? Oh, he moved out of the house and he's got all that stuff now. And I'm like, and he's figuring it out on his own, huh? Because nobody ever taught him how. The crazy thing is some of us, we think that overreaction is the key. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, don't take it from me. Let's look at what Paul did. He saw a group of people who were absolutely immersed, soaking in these lies daily. Idols all over the place. How's he respond? Does he start tipping over idols? Let's look. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. We just read that he was waiting and he was distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Uh, so he starts reasoning with them. Instead of overreacting, he starts interacting with them and conversating with them. I, I would love to keep reading here, but I'm watching the time and we got to be by. See, there's an Assembly of God church in town. If I spoke there, I could talk as long as I want, but we're in the covenant church, so I'm going to keep it. Don't worry. It's OK. If I was in the Baptist church, I would have been done five minutes ago. So here the thing is, uh, you know, we we look here and it's amazing because if we were to peek ahead, we'd actually get a glimpse of his interaction with these people here. He sees a group of people who are constantly immersed in these lies. And instead of going in and tipping over idols, he starts talking with them. And we actually see his speech. He goes in in front of to all these people in front of Athens. And you read it in probably one of the most famous messages in all of the Bible. 
you know, maybe second only to the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus himself. Paul stands up on Mars Hill and he talks to these Athenians and he says, hey, people of Athens, you guys, you guys are really religious. Wow, you're religious. I mean, look at all your idols. You have all these. You even have an idol to an unknown God. Funny you do. Let me tell you about him. His name is Yahweh. He's the creator of all the earth. And you've been worshiping him all along and you didn't even realize it. Let me tell you more about him. He used his idolatry. The very thing that was distressing me. He used that to talk about truth. Instead of overreacting, he started interacting with them. And he actually used it as a springboard to talk about truth. What if we as parents, what if we as grandparents, aunts, uncles, what if we as people in the community, instead of overreacting, if we turned our overreaction into interaction? What if we, like Paul, I mean, Paul right here later in his message, he even quotes their pagan poets. He says, as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. There's little quote marks right there. You know what he just quoted right there? He just quoted Lady Gaga lyrics. Whoever the Lady Gaga was 2,000 years ago. He quoted secular lyrics right there of the day. He heard what the pagan poets said. What if we as parents, what if we as people in the community were strategic and when we saw some of these lies, some of this distressing stuff, instead of freaking out. And by the way, I'm not saying allow this stuff in your house. Whatever. Little Wayne sounds great. No, I'm not saying that. We're going to talk a lot about this. We're going to talk about in a parent workshop how sometimes it's okay to say, you know what? Sorry, this doesn't belong here. But as we could have an opportunity to talk with our kids about values, as we have an opportunity to talk to this younger generation that's growing up about values, if we overreact, we're going to close these doors. And Paul gave us a perfect example of turning inner, overreaction to interaction. Let me, uh, we got to wrap up here, so let me give you one example. Um, parents, one of the common occurrences is uh, today is they'll find, they'll come home and they'll find that someone's been looking at inappropriate material. And so they found something on the web and parents don't know how to react. The overly permissive parent might just let it go and say, hey, no big deal. Whatever, man. The overprotective parent says, forget it. We're moving to Amish, Pennsylvania, where there's no problems with that. Do you know the more rural the area, the higher the rate of pornography? The interesting thing is, as we sit there and figure out, common response would be if we found that in our house would be to overreact. How could we turn overreaction to interaction? What if we as parents sat down and realized, here's a generation of young people that hear every day, almost every hour, the message of do what feels right, do what your gut says, do what feels good. And when you look at some of the lyrics, it's a lot more explicit than that. And they've been hearing explicit lies. The question is, are they hearing explicit truth? Have you ever opened up God's word and like turned to tell you what, if you want to talk with your kids about this, write down Proverbs 5, 18 through the end of the chapter. What if you opened up that with your kids and you said, let me tell you about this awesome thing called sex that God designed. And look, here's a passage where it talks about what we're here to enjoy and how awesome it can be. But also what pain can happen when we go outside of that marriage relationship. And we could even ask our kids, what, what are ways we get ensnared? That's the word that Proverbs use. What are ways we get ensnared by women who aren't our wife? What are places where we're tempted to look at this? How can we do this? What if we, instead of overreacting, what if we interacted? I wrote a book last year, 
called the Zombie Apocalypse Survival Guide for Teenagers. And it was funny because um, some kind of religious people got upset and they're like, zombies, what are zombies? You know what this book is? This book is just a fictional story of three teenagers who, in a world where most of the adults are gone and they don't have parents telling them what to do, they're out on their own trying to figure out what is right. What, what values do I actually keep and, uh, to help make my decision? And these guys are reaching for a Bible with a new fervor, kind of going, hey, what is the right thing to do in this situation? Each chapter ends with discussion questions. It points towards Scripture. How can we use some of the distressing stuff we see in our culture to point to truth in our house, in our community, in our world? What's it look like in your world opening up these doors of dialogue? Uh, We'll talk a lot more about this this afternoon. I hope you guys come back. Uh, Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I just thank you for your love and I thank you so much for who you are. God, you are the truth. And sometimes uh, we get distracted by some of these temporary little thrills here that are offered in front of our eyes daily. And any of us who've been down that path, we know how much those things are lies. And just how temporary those things truly are. But God, you offer an eternal truth. I pray that we as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, we as a church would be on the lookout for opportunities to open doors of dialogue with people about truth. God, help us not to overreact. Help us to look for opportunities to interact and point to your truth. God, this is way bigger than us. We need you. So give us the strength. And we want to give you all the honor, all the glory. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen.